That's later. Meaty breasted zilch. All right. I love it. Meaty I love it. Meaty breasted zilch. <laughs> oh my God. There I don't know has to... got to be a story behind that. There is. Meaty breast. Are you talking about me? Because a <laughs> little bit. Pretty meaty. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably record a podcast at some point. Well. Here, though, shouldn't we? Troy's been recording for the past. I've been recording since. Oh, God. Well, I know what the cold opening's going to end up being for this week. You know it. You mean (laughs) breasted zilch. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Gaming Podcast, the podcast that's serving up a buffet of RPG topics to get you through your week. My name is Zach, and the hosts joining me this evening are John... Christian, and Troy Sandlin. What's up, my peoples? Hello, everybody. We still haven't got the hellos down very well. Dude. No, there's like, it's always awkward. I was just awkward. about to compliment you. Hey. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just dove right in. You both said it. You didn't talk over each other. I thought it was good. Hi. Then you ruined well, it I've, with like an immediate I've, criticism. I've, well, yeah, right. That's, well, we broke know, the fourth like wall. I can't edit it. That's what we know. did. Yeah. Don't bother. It'll probably... I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to... I don't edit. You'll, you'll edit your parts out. It'll just be me, like lambasting mm. myself. Oh, Good. yeah. You, Good. You... That's true friendship. Right it, it, it is. It is. It is. Lachaim. Thank you. Lachaim. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, hey, let's. If let's, you, let's... We're not. We're not awkward. We mean it, awkward. Awkward. <laughs> me moi. Moi. Not awkward. It's true, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Folks who are tuning into this podcast and not listening to the live stream missed the the rambling preamble uh, mm-hmm. that butted up against this. And this is just going to be par for the course, I think. Turkey um, race. Turkey race. Mm-hmm. Be on the lookout. Yeah. It's going to be a yeah. thing. Get ready. Yeah, it is. DM, DM's <sighs> Guild. Here we come. You've heard of the DM's Jersey Guild. Devil? Yeah. Turkey race. Turkey yeah. race. The Kansas turkey race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love the idea that like, they nothing. like hunch over. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what okay. the hell was that? The, oh my god, podcast listeners, that you have been robbed. You have got to start <laughs> watching the been... Twitch. That was a once in it, like in the entire like a little over a year that I've I've known and hung out with Zach. Yeah. That's a first, and that shit's going on the wall. Oh my awesome. gosh, that was that was awesome. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, you awesome. should have seen the. It's there's a gesture, right? That's all we'll say. Go back and watch the stream, if mm. you're if you're listening. It re- you know what it remi- reminds me of? It reminded reminds me of when uh, Snoopy is doing the vulture on his <laughs> on his doghouse. Just. <laughs> <laughs> All right, news. News. Yeah. <clears throat> Listen, uh, we got a big news day today. Um, Troy showed up with like six news articles, and we've Good Lord. forced Whittle down. Yeah, they yelled um, at me. They yelled at me for it. We did yell at him. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That being said, uh, there's a lot of good stuff on Kickstarter right now. I think we can just safely say if you go there, you'll see pretty much everything that Troy wanted to talk about and probably some more things that we missed. I'll, I'll, um, uh, I'll post the ones that we don't get to talk about. I will definitely post those in uh facebook Perfect. awesome well why don't, why don't you leave us off then troy and tell us uh what, what we're going to talk about a little bit today. well before i get to the to, to the one kickstarter that i'm allowed to talk about this time 
since Zach took one of the other ones. Um, Censorship. I wanted to give a shout out to a new podcast, like a brand new podcast Ooh. that I was introduced to, uh, Geezers of the Game. Oh, um, eh, here, there's a little funny story to it. I get a friend request on Facebook from this from this person, and uh, I always check to see if if it's a you know make sure it's not a bot or you know a fake profile or whatever. So I go and look, and he's definitely a gamer. It's like okay, and I see a little blurb that says, "And I'm a host on a podcast called Geezers of the Game." So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh, he must have seen somewhere that. I'm a co-host on a podcast. He's a co-host on a podcast. So, friend request and kind of, you know. So, I I said, yeah, sure. I'll accept his friend request and thanked him for, for, for sending it over. And he's like, oh, yeah, great. And I'm like, geezer of the game. What's that all about? And he he tells me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a listen. And then, as, face, as Facebook conversations with new people go, just kind of stop talking. Today, I get a message going, hey, you never told me that you had a podcast. What's up with that? And I'm like, I thought that's why you friend requested me in the first place. It's like a Facebook <laughs> roulette or something, man. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> but he's like, no, I was just, you know, saw that you were into gaming and and uh, thought, why not? I was trying to, trying to, you know, network and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So uh, I listened to the first episode today. And it's it's just it's two guys, uh, just uh, just talking about how they feel about games a lot like what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, they've only got like I think two, maybe three episodes, mm-hmm. so not a big backlog. But uh, yeah, just uh, if you have some time, go go check them out. Tell them bite size gaming sent you. If you leave them a pot, you know, a little message or whatever. Uh, geezers. Of the game, so I love it. That's awesome. Good yeah. for them for reaching out to you. That's uh, yeah. that's that's perfect. So awesome. on to my news. Yes, monsters from the public domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy, this guy, Derek uh, Cook, um, is an old school black and white monster movie fan. And he has decided to take all these monsters from these old 50s movies and D&D them. He, he's turning them into uh, D&D monsters. And mm. it, it, it's already funded. It's going to happen. And we're talking monsters like uh, the, the Crawling Eye, the, the, the Giant Gila Monster. Uh, the killer shrews from outer space or whatever they were. Um, you come on now. How fun is that? All these weird, you know, they they, they would take because back then they would you know they would shoot video or shoot film of a a lizard walking around and then do the whole super cool special effect of blowing it up and having the the screens together. Yeah, so. <laughs> and he he he's into this stuff he really digs it it's i mean six bucks for the pdf yeah. i mean want 20 bucks uh you get the print uh the soft cover print and the and the pdf of it 
it, it, it's got to be a thing. It just needs to be a thing. It is a thing. Let's make it. Let's yeah. Let's, let's make it our thing. <clears throat> so I like it. I like it a lot. Um. Yeah. I mean, like, gosh, it's right up my alley. It's a great monster book. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to back this. Um, Heck yeah. It's, I mean, six bucks. It's six. Yeah. Like I said, six bucks for the PDF. It, like I said, it's already funded. He was only asking for 500 and he's at uh, 1656 right and now. And he's a podcaster. And he's, he's a podcaster. He's got to show him yep. some support. Yeah. This, is, this is a support the podcasters episode is what this is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Sweet. All right. Um, that was Monsters of the Public Domain uh, by Derek Cook. Yep, Derek Cook. Derek M. Cook. Of, uh, Dice, so, of Dice Monster Dice is is his little company. Dice Monster Dice. I forgot. I forgot to mention that. Perfect. So the one I stole from Troy uh, is another Kickstarter. Um, that I'm, I am, oh man. There's there's too many good ones. That's that's where we're at these days. Uh, good problem to have. Um, I did see see some questions um in chat. We'll. Troy, you might have to edit this. I don't care. Uh, but Chad is asking if if it's just for D&D. It says it's for 5th edition. Um, mm, so yeah. if if that's your thing, that's your thing. Um, otherwise, um, you might have to do some remodding. Yeah. I mean, what the heck? That's right. Uh, so what I'm excited to talk about today is uh, Ruins of Symbarum for 5e. Uh, this is a project by Free League press um that means it'll be uh distributed by um oh goodness help me out here modifius modifius be distributed by modifius um they do have printing companies and distributors in the u.s now so used to be that free league it was pretty difficult to get any of their stuff on a reasonable time frame at a reasonable price um but that is no longer necessarily the case um and they make some astounding astounding projects um oh yeah symbarum was a game already and i have looked at this game on numerous occasions it's a dark fantasy rpg Mm -hmm. um but this kickstarter is bringing the setting into 5e with a player's guide a game master's guide and a bestiary in three hardcovers. Yeah. Um, y'all. So good. It, it, art doesn't get much better than this. Um, we talk about art a lot, but, but art. Yeah. Um, there is some notations, uh, that I thought maybe would help. Um, let's see if I can grab that real quick. Um, it says the setting features a dark wilderness, warring factions, and infectious corruption, and it has new rules um, that kind of help set the tone uh, for play. Um, there is uh, new rules for uh, corruption, especially in magic users. Yes. A gathering mm. of each character's capital S shadow that left unattended can manifest as terrible physical transformation and eventually the loss of the character entirely. Uh, there's also new rules for traveling and rests, social challenges, and additional 
rules for magic. There's a bunch of new player options, including um, new races like changelings, ogres, goblins, and trolls. Um, and uh, some new classes. Uh, I guess I'm saying I think that this is going to have something for everybody. I think I'm going to be in for the monster manual. As much as I think that this would be a world that I would love to play in, I don't know that I'm going to have... you. There's a million settings that you want to play in, oh, yeah. and you're never going to get to them all. But the book, the bestiary, I'm sure, I think is going to just be a must. Oh yeah, um, and I like one of the major twists of this setting. The elves are the bad guys. That's a twist. <laughs> I mean, like, like right in your face, bad guys. That's just the. That's just the the propaganda being pulled down is that and, uh, is that what it is coming out is that what it is it's, it's the veil being rent right by dwarven axes yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> so stupid it's just uh, <laughs> it's, uh, this, right, that's stupid if uh for those of you out there maybe i might be the other one i don't know uh that remembers the setting midnight uh it came out um about the time Eberron hit. So I don't know I don't know the history of it as far as it, if this was one of the settings that was uh, uh, put in the, the contest that Eberron came mm -hmm. out of um, and mm -hmm. it didn't quite make it very far. Because I, I do know that uh, Wizards of the Coast bought not only Eberron, but I believe the top three underneath Eberron. Hmm. For a just in case is what I had heard. Really? So yeah, so that they so that people couldn't pub. I don't know. That's just what I heard. Anyway, I don't know if Midnight was uh, one of those or not, but I think it came out around that that same time. Midnight. Um, it, I, there was actually like a uh, an independent film that came out with uh, uh, with Midnight as the setting. Um, I I own it. I bought it at Gen Con. Go figure. Um, mm. But this thing, yeah, there we go. Yep, by Fantasy Flight. Um, but this was a setting picture if Sauron won. That is that is basically midnight. Uh, the big bad uh, got his ring. Um, the forces for good had been destroyed and scattered. Um, he has sent his uh, legates uh, out into the world to... You know, put his to help put his thumb on the backs of everyone's necks. Magic is outlawed. They have these creatures that can smell magic. Um, so if you if you cast it, if you have a magic item or whatever, you're hunted down. Very dark, very oppressive. I'm not going to go so far as to say that the ruins of of Simbarum is that oppressive, but it has that feeling of, mm -hmm. you know, you're not in a in a world of bright white towers and uh very you know shiny elves and and all that kind of stuff it's it's but not so but again not, not like a like a post-apocalyptic or um uh or like a cataclysmic event right just like it's just it's just dark it's just it's, dark noir type yeah, thing right yeah gotcha. yeah bad oh. things have happened you're not quite you know you're still on the uh on on the heels of of a of something bad that has happened, 
Um, I guess in this uh, ten years ago, um, something had happened in in the uh, in the past here in in Sambaram, and uh, the people of this certain area were kind of forced out to uh, try to find a new place to live, and they're on the border of this giant forest. And there's mm. something in the forest, and I, and I the, the ruins of Simbarum. It's like the elves are like, no, you're not coming in here because you're not messing with that stuff because you're not waking up what's inside. And that's why there's they're kind of like the the quote unquote bad guys because they're trying to keep out the people that want to go in there and hunt. And of course, you know, it's like it's like all the movies. It's like all the stuff. The the, the people go in. It's like, oh no, we just want to hunt. But let's let's go ahead and check out what's in that ruin right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, why not? We're right here. Yeah, it's like you know, it's like the Terminator movies. You know, they, they don't they don't learn. They just keep trying to build the build Skynet. Mm-hmm. I'm working on that right now, actually. Building Company I work for building Skynet. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. That's all right. I for one welcome our robot overlords. So. Uh, well, I did too because I got my first vaccination. There you go. Sweet I, microchips. I got. Nice, I got bionic it. now. That's awesome. I, I've been chipped. <laughs> this way, when you know, in a few years, when I get uh, adult brained, and I wander off, my daughter can track me. Mm-hmm. It's love. It's love. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, let's uh, let's talk about the big. Here comes the. Here comes the big on one. Table. Yes, big hurt. Uh, we've we've held off t- too long, uh, John. Uh, Talk to us. Drop All right, so for mine, I got the big one, right? So I'm going to, this will be, I'll go through the highlights of this, and then we can kind of figure out how we feel about it. We've been, done some discussion about it already offline. Um, There's a lot of back and forth, actually. So, uh, Domains of Dread, Ravenloft Mist Hunters, uh, coming soon to an adventurer's league near you. Uh, the news was released by uh, Amy Zura this morning. Uh, it is an alternate campaign, is what they've labeled it as, right, on the site, which they haven't given the specific what that means exactly. But that tells me that it's like an Oracle of War campaign, a side campaign uh, parallel to the seasonal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the campaign is, uh, it is 14 adventures, including two interactive epic adventures set in the Domains of Dread, and it is a part of, like, uh, the release is uh, in tandem with the new Ravenloft book that's coming out. Uh, again, uh, it's uh, July 9th is, the, uh, is whenever it debuts. The campaign spans character levels 1 through 8. Each campaign, or each adventure is sequential, building upon the last. So there's supposed to be a cohesive story from start to finish. Um, places a strong emphasis on social interaction and investigation over combat which I found very interesting. They're doubling down on the RP over combat. Uh, each in, adventure in, has... Let, go ahead. Put a, just as a... As I have to side... Put, a, uh-huh. put an aside. In, in, in theory, right? In theory. They, there, there's a lot of times where they say they're going role play over combat, but I don't know that they've very often actually done so in practice. Okay. I will. I will leave it at that. <laughs> Troy's lips are pursed, I as if to 
contain himself. So we'll move on. Here we go. Uh, each adventure <laughs> has been developed with a specific subgenre of horror in mind, which I found that really interesting. Like, how many subgenres of horror are there? Oh, exactly. there's the mean, domains, right? Isn't that going to be like, well, the, domain, the domains? Yes. No, no. The, well, subgenre of horror. There's right? a, as like, like, you, like there's like slasher, slasher, body horror, got, uh, suspense, zombie. thrillers. Zom- yeah. Sus- yeah, zombies. Well, I think I think you're going too broad with like suspense. I think yeah, that suspense is the not subgenres a... are like, you know, undead, alien, you know, lichen robes, aliens. Oh, okay. um, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Vampires. Well, like, okay. All right, I got you. I see what you're uh, saying. Disease. Yeah. 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 So exploration. To what you're you were saying though was uh, they're saying that they're going to explore several of the domains of dread, including some fan favorites. Open ended. Don't know exactly what that means yet. Well, they got 30 um, of them coming in that book. Yeah. So, and there are 14 adventures total, right? So we'll see quite a few of them that'll be uh, broadcast, displayed, and, and demoed. All adventurers debut at D&D Virtual Weekends, which I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so every single month, a new adventure will be released and will be debuted at a virtual weekend, possibly in tandem with other uh, like uh, Origins, Gen Con, but I don't think those run together, if I'm not mistaken. I think I think the bald man himself has intentionally tried to keep the D and D virtual weekends there will, off the same schedule as some of yes. the bigger cons, right? Yes, there will undoubtedly be a point where that crossover happens, but there's going to be sure. an active intent away away from it. Yeah, right. Uh, okay, so here's the thing, though. Uh, I, I've saved the most controversial bullet point in my list for last. That is, level tracking is not required. Characters will conform to the level necessary to play the adventure. So the PHB plus one, that uh, the golden calf, that's gone, right? Yeah, and now yeah, levels, that. who like what? What does it matter? Show up. It's a level eight adventure. Guess what? You get to be your level so, eight character. So, right? Our, Troy. Troy has had. Hang on, hang on. Let me preface it by saying this: Troy has had them like ammunition chambered, ready for this discussion. Ro- Troy, go ahead. Now, now you're ready. Go ahead. I just need to give you a good intro, a good, a, a worthy intro for this. Let me let me get my notes. No. Troy hates freedom. I think is where we can <laughs> just like summarize. Well. N- n- no, it's not that. I don't understand the point behind. Okay, there's 14 adventures. There's only levels one through eight, mm-hmm. and level tracking is not necessary. Mm-hmm. So, does that mean that, like, say the first adventure is going to be for level four, the next adventure is going to be for level sevens? The third adventure is going to be for level ones. I don't. I don't. Think I Because if I mean, if they're going, yeah. if if it's sequential, yeah. Then why is level? Tra- I don't understand the whole point behind why level tracking is not a thing, unless it's I show up. I've not played the first three adventures, but I want to play in the fourth. Yeah. Okay. That's well, it. you need to be you need to be this level, and you jump right in. Yeah. So this is the one that we talked about separately where I see this as another experimentation similar to Oracle of War where let's see what happens when we do a thing, right? And so that is how do we reduce barrier to entry for any player at all, not just new players, but 
a player that's out a month or two and then comes back in and they've only all they have is a level three character but the thing that's being run that month is a level five adventure like well how, many, they, how are they oh. supposed to go ahead how many different elements do they have how many different domains or subgenres do they say they were going to cover? They didn't say a specific number of subgenres, but we know that there are thirty domains that are going to be included yeah. in the main book, right? Well, I was I was just thinking like, I can see where you know, so you're going to have twelve adventures plus two epics, right? Right. So I can see where they do like themed arcs that are tied to specific domains. Mm -hmm. So maybe like a, a trilogy here a single here and they want you to be able to go in and play this trilogy as a tier two with a new character if you want well here's something that i hadn't considered what if what they mean by level tracking is not needed is it's all one to eight it's all it's all one to eight you show up mm. and play whatever you're you're you are that's so old if, school if, right there if you show up at at, at uh adventure number eight and everybody else's level in, in tier two, and you're level one. I don't see them. I don't see them dipping or like crossing over it's tier horror. one, tier twos. It's horror. I'm with you. Now, I'm so look, why, I look. I'm not saying I'm not an advocate of it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that's like that doesn't mesh with what anything re remotely what they've done in the past. With no, it, it it doesn't. But neither does allowing you to just make up characters at, at any level to just to play because well, okay, we've already so, got the. So Girk made a really good point here in 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 stream. I want to make sure that I say this. A really yep. good point. Like the, if they're saying focus on the RP, yep. if the combat's the combat's not that big a deal, then the, how much do the levels matter? They don't. Well, here's mean the anything. problem with that. Though. The only thing I got to say in in response to that though is like, then how much dice rolling are you going to do? Because you don't just roll dice when you're in combat. You roll it for skills, you yeah. get proficiency bonuses yeah. for things like that. So maybe they're going to have you know something for those lower level characters to be able to bump their their dice rolls like you know like uh in uh eberron you have hero points sure perhaps they're gonna have horror points i don't know you'll have scary points scary points and scary, scary points. graham's points. talking about the idea of d leveling if levels don't mm -hmm. matter like can right. you go back if you if you if you caught a, a tail end trilogy the the level six seven and eight trilogy mm -hmm. But you mm -hmm. miss the earlier ones. Can you walk that character backwards? I mean, hypothetically, we could all walk a character backwards. <laughs> That's right, Girk. Pooped in pants points. Yep. <laughs> yep. I got my um, PPPs. Well, here's here's the thing. Like, if they have clearly defined rules for creating a first through eighth level character from from one, right? It's not about deleveling necessarily. It's about you almost have to do a, a full build. Like if you if you do an eight and you and play the eighth level first and then go back and play the third, you're not de leveling necessarily. You're just leveling up to three using the rules that they give you for here's what you get at second, third, fourth, yeah. et cetera, yeah, yeah. et cetera. I'm right? just yeah. But but can you but but here's here's the thing, right? De leveling would imply, right? You could go back and get those rewards and then go back forward and take those rewards into future games mm, right possibly I, I would assume they're not going to allow you to take this the the forward awards backwards with you truly they've thought about that i don't think i don't think it's i think it's it's one through eight mix you whenever you show up and if because that has been that's a stable a that's, that, that is has a been bold a staple, bet, my friend that has been well, a staple of adventure league from the beginning is you start at level one is it a bold statement when you could already do one to five so all we're doing is tacking on three levels mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and 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 it because there's a big difference between with six seven and eight though and it doesn't scale. And it, but it also doesn't fit there's 14 adventures right they've already said there's 14 mm -hmm. adventures 
levels, but it's only level one through eight. Sure. Well, and that's, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have one or two adventures where it's like, this is a fifth level adventure, this is a sixth level adventure. Or is it, oh, it's because yeah. it's one story, but that doesn't mean that it's not coming in from different angles, right? Mm-hmm. So you could have like two branches that connect. Okay, so hang on. Um, hang on. Well, let's do this really quick. Sorry, let me do this. From Amy's, from her own dialogue, right? From the from the post. Mm-hmm. Let's read. Let's read into this a little bit more. Let's let's put our our dungeon master hat, reading the PHB, our and let's get hat. into the, let's get into legalese here. She says level tracking is not required, as characters will conform to the level necessary to play the adventure. Conform to the level, not. Not a first through eighth level characters, but we will conform to the to that that character the well, level that's for that adventure. And I love I love Amy. Um, so this is not a knock against her, but until I see a written document like an ALPG, mm-hmm. a admin getting on and making a post about it, I I think it's folly to read too much into the language. Um, I like, like the use of folly. It, like right when you're when I worked worked on teams before we've worked on teams before different things. I like know that, that you get a she's not going to she's not going to put that's what I'm saying she's not going to put an email out there that other people I hear read. you but I'm just no one's saying, an island like, under themselves as an admin. people sometimes don't look at a, a social media post as closely as they look at wait a minute uh, uh, which ale nerds have you been playing with again where we scrutinize the crap of out of everything that they post out there <laughs> I was, I'm not I'm not buying that man. Well, uh, I, I this this they things are usually very deliberately put together, right? When it, when, you, when it comes to like marketing releases, this is a marketing release. Yeah. So this is probably not just Amy. This like somebody in Wizards marketing probably read this thing too. Also, there's no way that she was just like, oh, this is good. Tick tick tick. Well, tick. and, and it send the the one big thing that we need to keep in mind is all of this needs to have a pen put in it because you know. As soon as the information is finally released in June mm-hmm. about what's coming in July, the the entire ale community will get its collective panties in a wad and burn the internet down. And sure. then a week later, the, the Adventurers League admins will have to come back with a different set of rules yeah oh my this. god nobody's gonna take they're taking our xps they're taking our levels they're taking yeah. their they're taking our levels yeah oh my god so that's true that's a good point too they were you're gonna have a but are you though here's the thing are you though because the facebook's gone right facebook's gone. doesn't matter all, all they're gonna have is discord doesn't matter else? they're gonna they're gonna read it on discord or they're gonna get yeah. the get the blurb on on uh the yawning portal true. then they're going to run to facebook uh, yelling and screaming, and now Zach's upset, so he's left. <laughs> Can you blame him? I can't Can blame him. him. But uh, I mean, I can't, and I can't say that I blame the the AL community for you know grabbing their pitchforks and, and torches every time uh, something changes. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I just like I kind of I kind of agree with Zach until I see it in an official capacity, I'm not going to put... No, I'm with you on that. A whole lot I'm of faith because, you, you know, there's a lot of time between now and then for things to change. Well, that's the other thing we were talking about today, too, right? Is how much time, how much lead time that we've got on this thing. It's usually, like, two weeks from now, boom, here we go. Yeah. We've got almost three months 
We have more than three months, actually, now that I sit here and think about it. So, more than three months between now and that this actually being released. So let's all cross our collective fingers and hope that we will get the uh, Mist Hunters uh, AL Player's Guide and DM's Guide out maybe October a week before. Oh, a week before. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing Sorry, to, being a smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it, it, that'll be our Halloween gift for for Hunters of the Mist. We'll actually get right? the, uh, the 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 players' guides two days before. Oh, he's Ooh, kidding. Easy now, easy. That's uh, that's uh, that's actually one of the things you said. Halloween made me made me think about it when we were trying to figure out whether this was going to be like a new season versus an alter, alternative mm-hmm. campaign, an alternate campaign. One of the things I'd mentioned was the timing of it would be really great is if it, the the big culmination of the domains of dread because the time is like if it starts in July you're looking at about a year and a, almost a year and a half like a year and a quarter right uh, this might finish wrap up around uh, GaryCon so if the timing works out right it would be really cool as if this, this was like a, a the culmination of all of this next year 2022 that the big epic, because that's the other thing I didn't mention, is that there's an epic that starts it out. Mm-hmm. Not an intro adventure. An epic starts the 14, right? So there are 10 or 12 that are going to be nestled in between the epics. The first one kicks it off, and then the second epic that they've got planned is the one that's going to finish it up. So it would be really cool if Gary Con time or something like that, they did a big Halloween this would be really cool to do it for like a Halloween party or, uh, oh, yeah. or like at a game store or at a, like at a convention or even the virtual player or something like that. Kind of have be very very thematic. It'd be really cool. Yeah, it would it would be cool, and I I love the fact that they're finally going back to doing an epic to launch something because that that was mm-hmm. something that was amazing when Fifth Edition launched and we had the Horde of the Dragon Queen going on and we had the uh you know al kicks off finally officially mm-hmm. and the big event for that year at gen con was uh corruption at crypt garden mm, yeah. and we had uh what like somewhere around 100 tables maybe a, a few more all playing the epic at the same time oh my god 100? it was a hundred it was Holy absolute god. Madness, and yeah, the the story behind it is great. Um, if you can ever find uh, Teos at a convention, ask him about it sometime. Mm-hmm. It's 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 hilarious. Well, that's another conversation altogether. Uh, yeah. I think we a a good um, you know what actually a good topic that we may need to bring up next time around or at some point in the near future is. Kind of like a, your wish list of in-person play. When we could meet back together at conventions again, is there anything that you'd want to change from the way that you've done it now that you've got some time away from it? What are your plans whenever you get there? That kind of like your the your bucket list. Doubling type stuff down that you on minis. Do. I'll just go ahead and say that. Like you what? I'm doubling down on minis. Mm. On oh yeah. Con. Like, hey, folks, if you're listening and you miss playing with miniatures. We're going to play with some miniatures at my tables. Hell <laughs> yeah, man. Bring the boxes. All of mine have been collecting dust. Yep. Uh, there's a, yep. there's a, been a part of me that's like, I if I could get a setup that I didn't have to move somehow, hell, oh. I'd bring all of my terrain or yeah. I'd bring my, my uh, Dwarven Forge crap. Yes. I'd do that in a heartbeat. i make that happen. Yep. Yeah, man. That's awesome. 
Well, fellows, uh, is that it for news? Or we feel like that's a good coverage and yeah, a lot. Uh, move on to our main topic? Okay. It's dense. I think we should do yeah, that. Good. Let's grab some let's grab some beverages. Perfect. So, are we ready, gentlemen, to dive into uh, dungeons? We are indeed. We are. Let's do this. Let's, let's do go. This. Let's do some spelunking. Okay. All right, we're back, and we're going to talk about dungeons. Uh, we had a uh, questionnaire uh, of sorts Troy posed to our chat on Twitch uh, a few weeks ago asking what folks wanted us to talk more about. And one of the things that got brought up was um, talking about, I think then we we meant we called it like unkinking dungeons. Yep. But the idea dungeons. of... The idea of like how to make a dungeon interesting and engaging in the fifth edition landscape, because a lot of the things uh, that made a dungeon a dungeon have since fallen by the wayside. Right, mm -hmm. a dungeon used to be a place where you had to go in order to, uh, you know, uh, uh, level up, find your gear, and find the the quote unquote story. It was the mm. place where everything happened. And if you avoid the dungeon, you avoid the game, basically. Um, and because of that, uh, we talked about, John talked about in the pre-show, we're playing a zero-e dungeon delve right now. Um, the story was emergent because it had to be within this random conglomerate of monsters and magic items and mm. twisting tunnels and traps um, you made what you could of it up at the time now story is first mm -hmm. yeah and dungeon crawl and the randomness and the the idea of like this isn't a balanced encounter for you and maybe you could find 10,000 gold in here and you're not supposed to have to like none of that is real anymore for the average mm -hmm. dungeon yeah, everything is everything is codified and and parceled out. Yeah, uh, so I think I think that that would be where I'd like to start this discussion. Is the more I thought about it since that question was posed, is is a dungeon by necessity, and maybe not, but the, that's the question. Um, is the dungeon by necessity in order to get the right feel? Does there need to be an element of randomness to it? I think that these days we've moved away from randomness almost right. not entirely necessarily, but it's moved away considerably because now we have this thing called dungeon ecology where if something shows up sense. in there, that's, that's Gygaxian, right? Let me, let me sense, take, yeah. let me, if you don't mind, let me take a step back, right? Ooh, Let's talk about the yes. zero weed thing because you talk about the way that it originally was laid out when, when Gygax and Arneson first put everything together, it was incredibly there was really this neb nebulous un the story was unnecessary because it was just like uh get in a dungeon do a thing then it would be movement across a grid to the next dungeon and there's really not a lot that had to tie it together and then you get into the dungeon and the way that i described it today during the the uh during the the the, uh, the play was um it's almost like demi pockets little pocket dimensions inside of each room that was completely insulated where one room didn't have to affect another room. 
you could somebody could scream bloody murder in, in one room across the hall from another and the bugbears that were in one room versus the flumps that for whatever reason showed up in the in the other room they didn't really know that the other existed and almost didn't, like it didn't make sense that they were both in there together right and so the gygaxian dungeon was kind of like a was a funhouse right where you mm-hmm. go in you have a the count the encounters were the interesting th- thing not necessarily the story right the sto- the, enc- the story was the encounter and the encounter yeah. was the story as opposed to now the the juxtaposition is now if you go into a dungeon and there's a bugbear in there but then there's like a you know a basilisk or something that's also in there why are either one of them in there at the same time right why isn't it just all goblinoids that are in the cave or in the dungeon it has to be an answer fiends right that's the idea right right and that's i think that that's a lot of that has been uh like media as we consume it these days not just in rpgs but also in movies can't be like silly whimsical almost like just popcorn fun people analyze and analyze and analyze the things that they consume now and so that, i think that's translated over into the player base in D where we want a reason for the for why the MacGuffin operates the way that the MacGuffin does and why so and so is in there so i think that it's just it's been like a, a cultural shift inside of how we consume our media that's translated here i kind of feel like it's a natural progression um because you know i i started playing back then when it was just you know the you know the keep on the borderlands and you know things like that where it's just like you said it's a it's all these dungeons and all these rooms and there's a vampire in one room and like you said the bugbear in the other why are they there it doesn't make any sense um because you're just there at the time you were just there to delve dungeons kill stuff get loot there was Was no story let me ask you this fellas um and and you both have been playing longer than I have and in more editions than I have. So uh, I don't know the answer to this, but was there a complaint at that point? Like, I feel like the complaint now is that there's not this, this gritty noodly uh, intricate bit to dungeon is the, was the complaint back then that there wasn't a story and that, and were people asking like, why is this vampire next to this bugbear? Or was it just like, we didn't know to ask that. I don't think it was a complaint. In so much as it was just a question, you know, after the game was over, it's like, well, that was weird. Why was, you know, why was the vampire next to the bugbear? And why didn't they come to check stuff out when they heard us killing the bugbear? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you this. Did you, at your table, when you, when you played Zero or AD, even AD and D, right? When you played either one, did anyone really ask that question or was that was just like that's that's D D? you know you we go to another room there's something else some weird crazy thing that happens in that room and then we go down the hall to another room and something else crazy and different happens there well and then it becomes an expectation right the reverse is true where we don't we don't need everything to be the same thing because then that turns really boring mm-hmm. right oh my god we're finding another room full of bugbears and goblins what is up with this like can we need well, to change it up for for me it it went rapidly from totally random nonsensical story or a dungeon to a story mm. it went it went very quickly uh so much so as i think i only played maybe a couple games where it made no sense mm. and then you get that you get the mensa red box and the player's guide walks you through 
character creation in the guise of a story. Mm-hmm. You start off not knowing if you're a fighter or a, a wizard or an elf or a dwarf. By the end of the little adventure, you have your character made, and it tells a story. And it was done in a way that's like, you know, then the dungeon master could continue on with that story with those characters that were developed from it. Mm. And it just kind of, I think, like I said, it's a natural progression. It makes more sense when things make sense. Because well, I think as people, we we kind of, a lot of times need to have that make sense kind of thing. So I think that it makes sense. It makes more sense, but does it make for a better game? Because uh, one of the things that we talked about the other week um, was the idea that some dungeons are hard to pull off in 5e because, because they have to make sense. And because story is first, two things happen. First off, we get dungeons a lot of time, like forges of fury. I don't know if you guys, recall that one from tales from the yawning portal it's a really cool story it is like you fight you fight orcs for forever (laughs) in that first part right like and that's not always like you said like sometimes it gets really boring to be like oh here's another room full of orcs right Mm -hmm. and also um there's this idea that like this fifth edition sensibility that after every encounter there's an expectation that you will be fully ready to go mm. fully restocked, resupplied, repowered by the next encounter. Um, that's part of the design framework of five, which really hurts the dungeon crawl in my opinion. Oh yeah. Cause r- dungeon crawls are all about resource management and health being a huge resource for that resource management. Right. And, and the, the prevention of aggro, Right. To, to borrow an, an MMORPG-ism, right, to prevent aggro. The last thing that you want is, the as any, like to me at least, I don't want my players to have that one goblin show up and then run throughout the whole thing and aggro every single thing inside of the dungeon and bring it all smashing down on them, which that's another kind of subtopic in this well, that I'd do. like to... Right, exactly. Which that's not to like, not to get too too early in it. But one of the things I wanted to bring up that's kind of a a solution to that thing is called a dungeon brawl. Um, which uh, the the idea of a dungeon brawl briefly before because I don't want to sidetrack too much from what Zach was or take what Zach was saying. A dungeon brawl briefly is a way of staging, like aggroing the entire dungeon on you. Right, like the 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 uh, the. Uh, Goblin goes running through, smashing, you know, a, a ringing a bell or something like that, and everything comes out, but it comes out in stages. And so, to your point, the resource management is how much can you do in that no short rest and no long rest period uh, strategically to, to live and survive. Yeah, I think, like, I'll just hop on your train for a minute here. Um, I always find that there's a good reference point in, in Middle Earth, in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot, like, like when you talk about aggroing a dungeon or how to pull things, like, I always think back to Sirithungol mm-hmm. and, like, the orcs first off, like, fighting each other over things. Um, in the books, it's, you know, over the, the pretty coat and mm-hmm. it, it's different things in the movie. But, like, and then Sam going in there, right, and having to navigate 
and like pulling and the creature the what remaining creatures coming to him like there is this idea especially with the orc kind of cascading out this sections like there's the top of the tower and then there's the middle of the tower mm-hmm. and then it breaks down into the courtyard and then out from there right like it doesn't all happen at once the fight eventually builds but the same thing can be true for an adventuring party right like mm-hmm. the goblin runs into the next room and says trouble and then all of them come back it's not like all the all the goblins from all over the dungeon immediately start moving 30 right. feet at once right mm-hmm. um yeah I, but yeah I basically had yeah. a dungeon brawl today my uh, really yeah the thing i talked about a couple weeks ago with the you know my five foot uh Standing dungeon, oh, yeah. which yes. yeah, yeah. actually didn't turn out to be five foot; it was you know, like four foot. But whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, but I'll, I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But I want to go back to dungeons and story and making them work in five E. Yeah. Because yeah, let's get back there. Here's here's I think we're talking about different things. A dungeon is a define the dungeon is the dungeon an expansive multi-room multi-tunneled multi-leveled cave system is it an actual created thing under a castle you know because catacombs yeah yeah catacombs Mm -hmm. things like that what are you using to to say is a dungeon is or is it a you know 300 foot tall walking robot that you can climb around inside and have a big fight in Mm -hmm. because that defines your story because we're not just playing a game we're not just playing monopoly where you can have where you get sent to jail for no apparent reason or you're buying property and railroads and things like that there we are playing a story as well so you can't that that's the that's the thing about role-playing games and D&D you can't talk about dungeons we're, we're having a game of playing in a dungeon and then no story because it's all mixed and intertwined and there's a little bit of dungeon with a lot of story or there's a lot of dungeon with a little bit of story it's all intermixed so i think that is part of what you need to decide on and that's what's going to help you make your dungeon whatever it is you're calling a dungeon pop and and well be a lot of fun and not just for you right because i i know i make that mistake more often than not is i have an idea about what the feel of this dungeon is going to be mm-hmm. and one thing that i try to remind myself and i i think i do a pretty good job with my home table i don't know that i do a great job at other tables is reminding myself and my players that we're playing a game mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And this game can be several different things, right? Different things to different groups and different tables, different people. When you talk about Troy, like, is this a heavy dungeon, light story or heavy story, light dungeon? It's not just you that needs to know that. It's also your table Mm -hmm. and understanding that, like, hey, we're going to do a dungeon crawl that's random and about resource management. You probably get a lot of on board there. And then your players in their mind understand that, like, this isn't all about story. Random things can happen. If we take a long rest, Troy's going to break us down with a monster attack because there's wandering monsters and it's not the story's not designed to be 
for us to get to the end. It's all random. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if if you communicate that like, hey, there's a story for you to progress through, right? The dungeon is is really there's there's story beats and plot hooks and blah blah blah, and you're gonna pick up clues all along the way, and at the end, it's gonna be a cool reveal, and it's all gonna be awesome, and it's all about that journey. Your players are going to buy in there too, and they're going to trust you then to when they say, "Hey, we got to shut ourselves off in this side room and take a long rest." That you're probably not going to send a wandering monster in because the point is not the random chaos of a dungeon. The point is the story, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and that and that to me that is the that's the crux of the problem. What is it you're trying to deliver with this dungeon? Or is it a delivery system just to get you some cool loots? and some gold and experience points or is it delivering you to the next part of your overarching story because that's that's how the game progressed when it was developed first it was you know because you have to look at it 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 came from the roots of tabletop wargaming there was no story in so much it, it, you, you could put it in there if you wanted to but it was your big bad army versus my big bad army and we're going to go at it. There was no why. There was no, well, you know, my fantasy country is mad at your fantasy country. And they sent these two armies to fight over, you mm -hmm. know, whatever's going on. It was just, we're we're going to do this and just to see who wins. It's, it's like a basketball game. Is there a story in a basketball game? Yes. You have to put it in there. Because it's just, it's two teams competing to see who wins. Period. Yeah. So, the natural progression of the game of the hobby was to go from, hey, let's just throw these characters in to see how how well they do, how much loot they can get, how long they can survive, how many weird combinations of rooms of vampires and bugbears and things that they can kill. To Man, I want to go on a on a quest like in Lord of the Rings. I want to yeah. I want to go through the the wardrobe to Narnia. I want the story. But there's so many variations to that idea right now. Like like every dungeon master and every table is going to have a different measure of those two things um, that they enjoy. And I think that it's the ambiguity of these types of answers that make a game the most lackluster it's like you you mentioned monopoly right it's like if if one person got to decide what all where all the places were they were all jumbled together green was mixed with yellow was mixed with pink and all that one person got to decide it all and then hide it all and then you had to just randomly fall into whatever right that random hiddenness of it is going to frustrate you and it doesn't add anything right the fact that you say oh well but i kind of had this cool it's all alphabetized now all the places are in alphabetical order isn't that neat it's not neat because i can't i don't understand what game i'm playing and i don't understand the strategy or the point of what's going on all i know is that i'm trying to fumble my way through the dark and make a guess and then i get repercussions or i get a purple when i went halfway around the board for no, really no reason, right? Like, I think that, to me, dungeons really underscore this idea of it being a game and that we all need to be playing the same game. Well, but to, to Troy's point, though, I mean, the, the 
the dungeon is a character. If not a character, it's a setting, right? It's a place where the story, another part of the story gets told or a thread gets plucked at in order to, to kind of to, for everything else to get weaved out, right? So the yeah, so for me at least, I have to look at the the dungeon as a, an avenue by which the story progresses. But at the same time, there's also the expectation with the players of what a, of what a dungeon is too, right? So to a player, a lot of the time, it's I go in, I kick down the door, I fight the bad guy, I get stuff, right? So for that, one of the things that I struggle with, with the whole the concept of dungeon ecology and you know, the verisimilitude and everything making sense is every, uh, like a, a place for everything and, a, and, a, and everything in its place, right? Where, like the plus two sword is laying out on a bench somewhere or you know something <laughs> like that like why is there a wand of wonder in this box and it's hidden away inside behind some slate or like a, a or a slab or something like that right it's like making making those things make sense why they're there is equally as important as things like traps traps are supposed to be really expensive complicated and difficult to put together but the Gygaxian dungeon was full of them. So whoever it was that put these dungeons together originally were just rich as hell. And I'm like, why are you even bothering with all that, right? So it kind of like these days, again, people are pulled out by the by the whimsy because we're just not, they're not used to it. So um, the dungeons are, they're tough, man. Uh, and it does, to your point, it doesn't have to be underground. It could be the castle tower, uh, you know, it's just, it's this, this contained area where the story continues and there is conflict inside of it, specifically inside of this this uh, this area that you're in. You mentioned traps, and I think I I don't have much to say there, but I wanted to touch on it while we're there. And and I feel like we're gonna have to just talk about dungeons for maybe a couple weeks because dungeons mm-hmm. seem like they're gonna be an ongoing thing. But traps, I think traps have been replaced with role play because we've gotten completely mm-hmm. away oh. in the in the fifth edition idea of the gotcha mentality right yeah the idea of i'm trying to trick you as a dm into doing something that's going to hurt you or i'm trying to intentionally obfuscate something so that your character pays the price if you're not you know arduous in your count of your character's cautionary action right right i take five steps i tap the next step with my 10-foot pole I take five mm-hmm. steps. I, I, and I also investigate every corner, right? Yep. I tap the walls. I tap the ceiling. I, you know, blah blah blah, right? And I throw a stone on it, whatever. And as soon as you don't say that you did one of those things, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It does. I that's think, a really good. That's a good way of looking of, of of describing it, right? Is that a trap feels like to a player like a gotcha, like the the DM was trying to trick you, and they got you in, in the, with a trick, and but what it what it builds up is the wrong kind of paranoia to me where like progressing through the dungeon went from, you know, kind of like a we're stealthing and we're smooth and it's like a smooth, slow transit or sometimes smooth. It's not really like you don't charge through the dungeon like a lot of the time, but there's like a natural walk that you go through. As soon as a, a trap shows up, it turns into just walking through sludge. I've got, I had, I've had one player in particular who shall name remain nameless, uh, they know who they are if they're if they're listening to this. That you know they will literally they literally are like describe for a full five minutes what they do 
with one door, like I pass my hand around the frame of the door to see if I can see if there's any air moving, like a current of air coming from to or from. I look it down and I look at the lock pick and they, like I look at the inner mechanism of the lock and I'm looking for needles. I'm looking for this that. And I'm like, who hurt you? No, that's how. <laughs> but that who whoever that was, that was me. Oh wow, okay, well because then. that's how we play. It it was, and it was literally. Because you didn't have, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have an investigation check. We didn't have a perception right. score. It was mm-hmm. here's a statue, um, and you're looking for the magic key. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, but it's got to be behind, you know, on the statue. It's it's of the of the deity that you know the, the deity Did- of keys. So where's it? Where's it located? That and it comes was, down to. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, it was it was literally. I'm checking the plinth. I'm. Is there any scratches on the floor that looks like it moves? No. Okay. Um, are there any like little stones out of place? Is there any of this, any of that, any discoloration? And you had to, if you didn't say a combination of things that put your hands on the trigger of the thing <laughs> to turn it, you didn't find that damn key. And they didn't mm. have fail forward back then. It was, guess what? the dungeon is over for you because you can't get past this point. Well, and it was even worse back then, right? Because the, there were traps that just, you're dead. Right? Oh, yeah. Needle in the finger? <clears throat> well, that was a fun character. What level were, were you again? Oh, level 18. That, well, you had a good run. Yeah, there right. there were so many ways to die ignobly in, in, in the game. I mean, it was just like, what, really? I, okay. Stomach isn't issues. That, though, that's, that's what gets stores that, every of... once in a while from what I understand. Wasn't that encouraged? And I don't know the time. Listen, I'm going to be the first to, to admit that I don't like this is before my days in the hobby. But there, I know because I played some of them in retrospect. There are these, there are these computer games that were out at the same time that are all text based, right? Mm-hmm. And so it says, it says, you know, you're in a room and there is a cupboard and there is a desk and there is a table and there is a mantle and there is a door. Mm-hmm. And you have to type in, open the cupboard. Ah, Zork. Right. Yep. Or Barstow. And then you have to... Yeah. Right. Yep. Exactly. Um, so you have to specifically say, I'm doing this. And then the D- then the text would say, like, you open the cupboard. Inside there is a piece of bread and a lo- uh, piece of cheese and blah, blah, blah. And you have to say, take all or take bread, take te- cheese, take mm-hmm. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And if you don't say it... It doesn't, it doesn't happen, happen right. right? And I feel like maybe some of like some of that kind of crossbred into the RPG from one direction or another. Yeah, flip flip yeah. it around. It came right. from the RPG into the computer game. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but yeah. that's the level of like intricacy that was demanded mm-hmm. at that point, right? You have to say the words, right, and you have to say them in a precise way. You can't just say, "I check out the statue with pers- investigation," right? You Oh, you have yeah. to say, I touch its feet, I touch its eyes, I feel around it, yeah, whatever, right? Which, like, uh, remember when we did the uh, how we play certain yeah. rules, that right there describes why I use investigation is you have to be actively doing something. Yeah. Right, yes. Because yeah. that's what you did back then, that you were investigating. Yeah. If, yeah. You were, if you're perceiving, if you're using your perception, you're just glancing, you know, looking around. Right. And and that's yeah. why because it harkens back to what I did, yeah. In in checking because 
I was an idiot. I played thieves. <laughs> but but that's where well, uh, so, right. So, so you were the one that got blown up first all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that that's where the traps like like that's why traps have like I can't tell you the last time I used an a honest to goodness trap in five e. Like they completely got thrown away. But I think that we have a really good replacement. And this was the other thing that really stuck with me this week was I think that back then, correct me if I'm wrong, there wasn't a strategic NPC placed in certain locations that became these really interesting talking points or allies or clue givers or blah, blah, blah. And a big part of, I think, the adventure in the dungeon context right now is... There's a goblin that's locked in the cell in in room 13B, and you can talk to him. And Snark, the goblin, will tell you whatever you want to know about blah, 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 if you let him go. And there is a basilisk that is, um, you know, uh, enlightened, or what, what's the word? Um, awakened. Awakened yeah. in this other room, and um, he's seen some shit, and he'll talk to you about that, right? Like, right. and you have I've seen some things, man. I've seen some shit. Things. Yes. And there's a there's an imp in an iron and an iron uh, jug. What's it called? Iron. Yeah. Uh, urn. Well, the the magic item. Oh, the iron uh, flask. Jar? Iron flask. Iron flask. Iron yeah. flask. Yeah. There's an imp in an iron flask, and if you pull the top and you release the imp, then he'll become your companion, and you can yeah, like like. Those things are really interesting, and they create time, and they create moments, and they allow you to employ skills that you wouldn't otherwise use in a dungeon, right? All those charisma-based skills or wisdom, some of those wisdom-based skills like insight. I think those are just as interesting as a good trap, but they are more within the spirit of today's game. It's hard to, it's hard to say exactly when that transition happened, though, right? The one that you're talking about where it went from being... Just the the, the Monty Hall, um, fun house, you know, weird like like pocket dimensions, kind of being connected by stone corridors, right? Uh, like when did that happen? Where the when did the sh- the shift? And so you're talking when you're talking about like the old style game. I think back to playing even and then video games. I think to the old TSR Gold Box games and being in a dungeon and encountering. NPCs that helped progress the story, became allies, came into your so party, much. betrayed you, and things like that, right? And that's AD&D. That was pre-second edition or anything like that. So that was kind of like still, I think, like late eight, late to mid, mid to late 80s um, era, probably a little bit earlier than that even, right? And so, um, so I think back even further, look at Ravenloft, right? Look at that module. That was a byproduct of Tracy Hickman playing a game and where somebody like there was a it was the same Gygaxian dungeon of just completely random encounters and random monsters. A, a, there was a vampire that was in in one of the areas of the the uh, the dungeon, and he's like, "What are you doing here?" Was the question he asked himself, and I think a lot of players were probably asking that same question: "What yeah. is this thing doing here?" And so that to me is whenever the shift happened, and then you see the Dragonlance stuff come in, and then it was like, okay. Well, we're going to play D anD D, and there's going to be an an overarching story that's gonna that's going to encompass it. Now, this this epic or this ode that's occurring at the same time. So, I wonder if that was like the if that was the shift that happened. It was in that like eighty three, eighty two, eighty four, like ten years after the game had had really been uh, had really moved forward. Well, I I think I think it happened way earlier than that. It just wasn't as because as soon as you started having campaign settings mm-hmm. 
that's where your stories, you know, I mean, those campaign settings were built from them wanting to have a, a, a story or a foundation to build from. I mean, it, it goes back, think about when you were a little kid and you got to play with cars. You mm-hmm. sat around and you just zipped the car around on the floor. There was no context. There was no road. There was no buildings. Mm-hmm. There was no nothing. You were just zipping a car across the floor. As you got older, you you probably thought more about things like that. Or you got a racetrack like a, or an RC car and you know it made more sense to you you started thinking about more things or i'm chasing people or the bad guys or the good guys depending on what you wanted to be mm-hmm. and you just kind of kept building from there it's kind of the same progression of the game um yeah and I, I really do think that uh, it came you know very shortly after the game was developed was was these uh, storylines and progressions because people people automatically would want more than just going into a dungeon, room after room after room, until they just couldn't go any farther, take all their stuff, run back to town, get whatever they could get for it, and then go mm-hmm. back to the dungeon and start doing it some more. Because it just... That in and of itself would get old. Right. Because there is no story. There is yeah. no through line. Yeah. Joe Rasso is uh, someone in chat right now who, who brought up, up Salt Marsh. Um, and I'll call that out to say that I think, I don't know, Joe, I don't know if you're talking about the current Salt Marsh or um, the original like TSR modules. But I think, if I recall correctly, that the original TSR modules were the first time that level one characters were equipped with magic items. And to me, if, if, if that's what you're, um, you know, kind of calling out to, I think that, um, that is a shift right there, right? It's a, it's a notation of there's a story that we're going to tell. And for the story, you need to have a magic item. You need Mm -hmm. to, you need to be a little bit more survivable you need to have some tools in your tool belt in order to progress through it. So um, that's a fascinating idea. I, I don't know if that's what you were going for or not, but um, <laughs> I'm going to pretend like that was what you were saying, and um, we'll go from there. <laughs> so, fellas, I know, like, I feel like there's another discussion to be had about specific tr- tips or tricks that we use when we build a dungeon or when we're setting one out and what we prioritize in a, in our dungeon crawls and what we feel like really hooks, draws the players in. I feel like maybe that's the next episode Um, because we could talk a long time. I think about that. I know like right now I am running, I would call it a glorified dungeon crawl in a sense. It's all, underground it's a hex based and its encounters are heavily incorporated into it um so i i feel like there's plenty that we could all share in that regard to continue this but that's probably another i'll 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 pin another thing to that top that conversation i'd like to hear from the two of you what your like you're not necessarily a magnum opus but a 
a story or a dungeon that you created that you're like, if I could point people to it as like, this is the thing that I got right, and here's why, would be, I think, a really good, because I'm, I'm all about examples, right? We can mm. have these you know, kind of like the big ideas and the thousand foot view, but I'd like to get into the nitty gritty of, not room by room, right? But just like to understand what you're, how you designed it, what the thoughts were that were around it, and honestly, more than anything else, what purpose it ended up serving to the story and to the then to the players and how it benefited them or progress things forward. So we'll kind of have to do like a show and tell. That'd be as far as dungeons go, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a dungeon that you have created yourself, either in a product, in a homebrew game, one that even that you ran that you re-engineered maybe, and or even if you know if you don't have one that you can think of, one that's uh, uh, one in particular front that's uh, licensed material, something that somebody else made that you could use in as, as an example. Uh, and kind of for the for the rest of the the gang out there listening. Yeah, do you want to do that real quick then? And wrap it up with that. Just our favorite examples. I mean, I could, yeah, because I mean, it kind of dovetails into what I said, um, but earlier about my uh my standing. Yeah, dungeon. go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for those of you that don't know yep. or, or didn't uh, listen to the the last, I think it was the last podcast we discussed it, or maybe the one before. I don't remember. Um, I'm running the. Uh, Adventurers League Eberron content for my home group, you know, modifying mm-hmm. it quite a bit. And uh, I wanted to do the Iron Titan, the epic from the AL season. Um, the Iron Titan deals with a Warforged Colossus uh, waking back up and attacking a town. And I wanted it to be visual because. When it debuted, it debuted at Winter Fantasy, which we were at, um, not getting enough time to do so. I wanted to build it. I wanted to build the, the Colossus so that uh, as the the players in the Epic were going to the different sections of it, I could tack it and show where the progression was, who, what teams were in what part doing, doing what things. Um, so I took it to a different... A different level and a different way for my home group, and I, I create or I found a, a, a map or a layout of a large titan. They called it a, a titan. Um, I I did some modifications in Photoshop. I printed it out. I put it on foam board, and it stood uh, 44 inches tall. And then I built the rooms, some of the rooms uh, of the different areas in foam core and made made terrain and all that stuff, and kind of tweaked what was inside the dungeon a little bit because mm. in the adventure, you it's pretty standard. Yeah, you mm-hmm. go you go into a section, you do the thing, you come back out of the section, report, get another assignment, go back into a different part, do a thing, come back out. Didn't make sense to me, so I. I redesigned it to have a flow. My one group is going into into the the thing and has to travel up in a certain way to get to where the main bad guy is that's piloting or whatever. Um, and in true Troy group fashion, they totally did stuff that had that I had not even thought of. Totally. <laughs> I'm going to say messed up my design, but it, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was great, but t- 
totally not what I was thinking and almost pretty much aggroed the whole the whole robot on them um, because what did my players do? They split the party. That's awesome. And oh, it was like, uh, okay, didn't see this coming. Didn't go through uh, three of the areas of the uh, the robot that I had created and built out um, <laughs> before doing things that destroyed the whole thing and put them on a run and gun out the way they came in. Nice. Because stuff was after them and mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Uh, so, to me, that that's what a dungeon needs to be. It needs to be a vehicle for progressing the story, or a or a vehicle that is used to just get you th- get through to something. And it can be anything. Mm-hmm. It can be an actual mm-hmm. dungeon under a castle. It can be a city that you're running through. It can be an airship in the sky or a walking 300 foot tall, uh, war forged Colossus that you have to invade and, and, uh, and, and destroy. So I, I hmm. think, I think it worked really well when I brought out the, the standee of the, of the, of the war forged Colossus. All the players were like, Oh my God, what is that thing? <laughs> and uh so that the uh that was so much fun just to see them freak out about it. Um yeah. I I am I apologize. I did forget to take pictures while we played, but no. I recreated and took pictures after we played. So, there you go. <laughs> I do have them. I will be posting them on our Facebook page for those that uh, want to see. I mean, it it's not as Oh my gosh! Mind-blowingly awesome as I wanted it to be. I just ran out of time, um, but it did come out pretty cool. Uh, I, I it was a lot of fun. We enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm blown away. I saw so, Troy send us some pictures. It's awesome. <laughs> so okay, so look, I I was gonna, I would planned on waiting until the end for mine, but I, Troy, you touched <laughs> one of the. One thing that I, I'm gonna, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll piggyback off of. Uh, my dungeon was a city. Okay. Uh, the city of Corbosa, and uh, the in the homebrew world, and the city itself was the char- was part of the character, and yeah. so the 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 players spent. It wasn't just like a in and out encounter in the city. Like go to a shop, you know, meet up in the tavern, fight interact a little bit and then leave about half of the campaign at the very, for the first half of the campaign was spent in the city. And it was the political intrigue that happened in the city. And the city itself was almost like an organism in the way that it was, the way that it operated. And so there was one overarching story that happened throughout the entire, uh, entire thing. It was very noir, uh, very, uh, a little bit Eberron, I guess, a little, little noirish and almost like a superhero vibe, okay. a medieval superhero vibe. Right. So there was the, the hell Knight. That was uh, that was almost like uh, the uh, the headless horseman type uh, monster or creature that would run would race through the 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 uh, the cobblestone um, paths and streets of the city at night, and the they were the it's like an ongoing investigation to figure out 
what the Hell Knight was, where it would show up next, and why it was showing up in the first place, right? And so from a dungeon perspective, there were different areas that they had to go to in order to figure things out, but those going to from one place to the next progressed the story for, further, but it stayed encapsulated inside of this, like an ecosystem that I could work within that would change and that would shift, and, you know, the they would have to build up alliances between, or not if not build alliances necessarily with, like, guilds or with uh, the like the politics was a really big, a big deal with both the the uh, the baron or the count excuse me the count that uh, that uh, was kind of the head of the, the head of the town essentially the the hierarchical leader of the town uh, but then there were also like nobles and aristocrats that were in there knights and and such and so one of the characters in the in the party in particular was kind of like was part of that political intrigue and everyone else. Uh, pushed along with it or because like we're kind of taken along for the ride, but they've created their own niche inside of the town. And so uh, that was, I don't know if it was the, the best thing that I've ever made, but it's sure as hell one of the best things, one of the things that actually worked the best, it actually worked out the best and it flowed really, really well and treating a city like more than just a way station or a place where you go to get the MacGuffin or to find out where the MacGuffin is and treating the city like that. And I think another example would probably be for you uh, with Sharn, the city of towers to me is like a, that's a campaign setting almost in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, if not a, a, if not a dungeon. Interesting. Totally agree. Yeah. Sharn right, is that. definitely an all over the place kind of dungeon. Yeah. So I'll go more conventional. I had a couple of I I had a couple of things that I might talk about. I will I want to throw out as a as a side note that I think White Plume in Tales from the Yawning Portal is actually a really good dungeon for Five E. Uh, has that Madhouse style um, and it's easily customizable because it has these sections right, um, mm-hmm. and you can kind of create whatever experience you want in those sections and customize it to best suit your party. And I would just notate that, like, what I did was I made the encounters and the story of White Plume personal for the characters. Uh, Karaptis is drawing them there for a reason, and he has set, he has captured people that are important to them and uses them throughout the dungeon in mine. And I felt like that worked really well. That being said, um, chat brought up... uh, uh, Tyler in chat brought up uh, another one that I would love to talk about. So I'll talk about that one. Um, Tyler ran through and helped uh, support me as I made um, a five-tier dungeon for 5e. Um, and the purpose, my, my purpose there was to see if it was possible, at least in my own mind, to write a mega dungeon that worked for 5th edition. And had a lot of story to it, but still had that mega dungeon feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was divided into five parts. Um, and there was a story point that kind of pulled you through all of it. And... Um, I'll just talk about the first one because I think the first one real and the second one I guess really worked, but the first one especially, um, I had a lot of fun with it because there were rooms, but within the rooms there were things that were discoverable that told the story of the dungeon, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times those things were also useful, right? Because um, I don't think most of the time I don't think that lore for lore's sake is of interest to a player 
but lore for like buffs sake or for advantage sake matters. Um, and so I felt like I could, I could get away with like telling the lore of the dungeon if I also helped the party as they discovered it. Um, so what I hoped was that it encouraged the party to thoroughly explore every tier, every room, because there were interesting and important things that they could pick up that would help them uh, later on. Um, and Tyler mentioned something that they really enjoyed, and so I'll, I'll note this as the thing that I'm most proud of. <laughs> I think mainly because it's in Roll20, but I had uh, the dungeon at the beginning rotate. It was two or three like rings of a circle, and uh, each time they opened a, a pulled a lever, like the whole dungeon would spin, and the rooms Ooh. would rotate around each other clockwise, then counterclockwise, then clockwise again from the three different rings, right? Mm -hmm. And so some rooms were inaccessible with the standard layout. They were locked behind a wall. So you had to pull the lever again to reconfigure it so that you could find other rooms. And I had it set up in Roll20 to where their map actually rotated like that. So they had this visual of like, when they pulled it, it would be like, and it would turn. I I don't believe so what I did, that Zach created it a was complicated not, virtual tabletop is, experience. Is this what led to the uh, idea this, of I don't want to make complicated stuff in Roll20? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what it because, because trying to make dynamic lighting. Oh. Oh, dude, no way. And three layers that like when when what I had to do right was create, like cut out the map into three separate maps along the rings which had, the map original map hadn't intended to be like that right so mm -hmm. you have to be carefully slice and then drop three and then you go to the map layer and you click and spin it and then you had to go to the token layer and click and spin it and then the, the, adjust the dynamic lighting right it was cool it took so long and i was so frustrated by it <laughs> that um it was not worth it, I don't think. Except that, I mean, Tyler brought it up, and that was a year ago that we played it, so maybe it was worth it. Okay, so here, here's the um, question. Did you save that Roll20 room? Yeah, I do. I did. Oh, man. I never get and rid of any of just, my Roll20 rooms. We're man. just now hearing about this? Well, yeah. Um, here, what I'll do is, uh, there is the drive link um, for folks in chat, because maybe a visual would help. And also, I don't care. You guys can have it. Um, it's not my... <laughs> finest work but i love it <laughs> you can see the map that i did and how it twisted and all that um but yeah it was it was really fun to play and it was really fun to design and i think that like it really worked as far as the the storytelling device of that room and the next section of the dungeon even more so um that being said i think i learned a lot about what fifth edition really is good at and what it's not good at. So, mm -hmm. that, well, that's another thing too is the lessons learned from putting those dungeons together. I'd never <laughs> run an urban urban setting together. I'd never run an urban setting ever. Really, everything had been kind of like the pinpoints of light kind of thing, where village, 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 hamlet, village, village, city. Ah, we'll get in there for a little bit. Cities are way too big. There's too much going on. Two or three points. That's really all I'm interested in. This in that in, 
uh, town hall. Boom, done. Maybe the docks is about all I can. I'm really gonna end up doing with it. Uh, but instead of like fleshing the whole thing out, it was my one of my favorite things about the entire campaign because it was like if you're worried about about pulling the entire dungeon and aggroing the whole thing, kind of hard to do in a city unless the lynch mobs yeah. all come out with pitchforks and torches, yeah. right? So you treat every single building as its own, kind of like it's the Gygaxian pocket dimension, right? Oh, look at this. Here, here are the their bugbears in this in this building. Oh, look over here. There's a basilisk in this cistern underneath the city and stuff like that. So you just treat the city like a dungeon, and it makes it so much more. It's so much easier for you to kind of like manipulate it and just have a list of things that are in there, right? Mm -hmm. Tavern names just off to the side and things like that. And it worked out so freaking well that we talked about it before about how neat would it be to have like a Batman type. Like or like a the bat family type of a, an adventure that you would run in like a really noir, not dark as in like evil, but like mood, right? Mm -hmm. Just like really kind of moody and uh, just like that, just like that, uh, that the shadow kind of uh, yeah. kind of mood to it, right? And it worked out really, really well. I love I love whenever I learn so much from it. Like I can run a city no problem at all anymore because I think of it under those uh, in that by those means. There's a couple other really good resources for cities. I just had a party go to Waterdeep, and there are really good um, uh, maps with keys, mm -hmm. right? And with, like, notations of all the cities. You can overwhelm your party to the point where <laughs> they are, they believe, they believe that you are super prepared just by having, just give them the map. Boom. Here's yeah. the map of Waterdeep. Where do you want to go? And then you just have pulled up the key right yeah and then have there's really good resources online for like oh this key says there's a tavern here what is this tavern right and then over here you have like a water deep wiki mm -hmm. and you're just ready to go right and you can yep. overwhelm your party to the point where they will believe that it's open sandbox mm. And, and they can go wherever they want, and then you can just guide the story however you want. Because right. when they say, oh, what's it in the Sea Ward? You're like, oh, well, in Section A here, is that where you're going? Yeah, okay. Well, you're going by these 18 places. Right. What? Yeah, exactly. Where do you want to go? Uh, I don't know. Well, what does this one look like? Oh, it looks like this. And you just yep. like, describe it. Like, I did the there's so many resources. Thing. Yeah. It was yeah. like it was like the the cheat sheet, the city cheat mm -hmm. sheet, where like you go into these different wards or sections of the town, and these are like just rando things that are in there, right? They're like yeah. almost like hyperlinked between one another to where I could just click, 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 click. click. Yep. Now, granted, there's a lot of prep that goes into it, but if you if you have that available and you're running, like this was not on online, obviously this was in person, but I had, could like easily reference it from behind the screen. And it seemed like, Oh my God, he's coming up with this off the cuff. And I'd get the compliment from the players after the like, Holy crap, man. It's like, you seem really, really well prepared. Like, and to a point, yes, I was, but it was just seamless, right? Because yeah. it was just easily referenceable. It was right there. And it just flowed with the whole thing. Well, and, and what it means is that like, at another place in time, you wouldn't be able to run water deep as water deep with two weeks lead time that your mm. party was going to be there experiencing it. But now just do 20 minutes of Google foo and you'll have mm. all the resources you need to pretend like you spent four months preparing for water deep. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just is a matter of, can you improvise on the fly? What the, from this little tiny paragraph that you have about this, 
you know, wine garden in the sea ward, right? I don't know. But mm. like if you can do that, that you're well, good to go. Well and if we could I could park on improvisation for an entire yeah. episode too, yeah. right? And like, we're way off this <laughs> topic. Way off well, the hour. <laughs> um just to kind of uh kind of tie this back in and use a product that I actually absolutely love. And I'll reach back in where to go. I've been getting this for quite a while now. Um, figures they put it in the bag wrong so you can't see the thing. I love these things. They're great. Sounds in the background ASMR for uh, for all of our listeners out there. Dungeon in a box. Mm-hmm. I've seen those. Those are cool. Uh, they are exactly. I mean, it's a it's an entire campaign. Um, I'm in year two now, but uh, each box gives you at least one map, some flat minis, some actual 3D minis, and the episode for the box. And it is very, I mean, the, the booklet is very thin, but it is a complete adventure. And it has some of the things like you guys are talking about, where it's, uh, yeah, that's the adventure. Hmm. But it can last multiple, multiple sessions because there's the, you have the award. Well, what's in this ward? Well, here's a bunch of charts that you can roll on really quick and develop things that you can find. So anytime you replay this adventure, it could be completely different. Mm-hmm. But it it uses that concept or that thought, at least in my mind, in my eyes, that it doesn't matter what the session is about. What everything is a dungeon. Mm-hmm. The city is a dungeon. the The road from one place to another is a dungeon, and they do an awesome job at making everything modular and and making it unique and adding the randomness to it um, to the point where, yeah, you could literally grab the book, start reading it. As you're running it, roll some dice and make the thing unique in your own in that instance. Or you could do what you guys just talked about. Roll things ahead of time and make those cheat sheets and have those things and steal from the the Waterdeep wiki and stuff like that and, and really flesh things out even more to make the world sing and breathe and live. Mm-hmm. So kind of, you know, to to round out everything that we kind of been talking about, everything is a dungeon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good spot to put a pin in it, come back and talk about specific tips and tricks next week, and uh, hopefully we'll cover that all in one episode, and we'll be uh, on to something else. Uh, we'll notate that um, Virtual D&D Weekend is coming up this weekend, Um and uh, you should definitely come play if there are still tickets available, which I'm sure there will be to some extent. Um, there's a lot of good DMs uh, running tables, and uh, it's we've even it's got not one a good lurking. idea to miss any months. Yes, we've got one lurking in the chat. I think yes, <laughs> yes, I think Lurker. so. We talked so, to, we talked about that away. fellow uh, last week, I believe. So we did. We did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to say his name because people should go play this table. Graham, I think. Uh, from all uh, from all indications, is a great DM, 
and I am desperately trying to find a time over the next few months where I can get at his table myself. So yeah, Graham, do you have make... any? Do you have any tickets left on any any of your uh, any of your slots that people might be able to grab a hold of? Yeah, shout out to our fellow DMs yeah, out shout there. Shout it out. Make, make sure that their tables are full. Yeah. But yeah, Graham. Graham's an awesome guy. Um, yep. I too. Uh, we we were actually uh, John and I were kind of going through a uh, what, what was like a a bucket list. Oh yes, of DMs yeah. that we would like to uh, sneak in and play at their table. Um, yeah. if, we're not if like given the not chance. like a Chris Perkins. Yeah, no, you know, that kind like, of stuff. But like, but we're talking about like people that we know. I want to like those are the ones that I'm really interested in, not the quote unquote celebrity DMs or anything like that. But they're celebrities. We're talking, we're talking actual. Yes, like real dun- dungeon masters. Is actual, that what you're trying to say? Actual people, you know, the, the accessible <laughs> that you can go buy a ticket tomorrow. That you right. can buy, buy a ticket tomorrow yeah. and, and and play with. Um, I've got no, my list. I, I'm not talking about you know. Is Chris Perkins an awesome DM? I'm sure he is a fantastic. But is he a real person? actual DM? But is he nope, a real a person? Is he an actual person? I think <laughs> that nope. is the jury still out. Yeah. The jury yep. is still out. I think he yeah. is a robot. He's a green-blooded goblin. That's That's what he is. Yeah, Chris, if you're listening, I don't think you're a green-blooded goblin. I think you're awesome. Just throwing that out there. I I think he's a very humorous Vulcan. Maybe he is. Yes. Yeah, that's true. No, I I I think he'd be fantastic to play play a game with Chris Perkins, but uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon. So I guess I'll settle for Graham. (laughs) Settle for Graham. That's Settle for Graham, 2021. <laughs> <laughs> I want that T-shirt at uh, at uh, at Origins or Gen Con. That's what okay. The world may never know. <laughs> the world may never know. All right. Well, hey, uh, thank you once again to Chat for hanging with us through this extended episode. Uh, yeah. Thank you to my co-hosts John and Troy for hanging out with me once again. Um, if you enjoyed these shenanigans, I would encourage you to come back uh, each and every week, both on Sundays and on Tuesdays, just about every week, where we uh, record segments of episodes for your listening pleasure. If that is not enough for you, you should come play games with us. And if that is not enough for you, you should get on Facebook and you should follow the Bite Size Gaming. Um, and uh, Troy posts fun things. I post uh, uh, notifications of when we've got tables and weekends um available things of that nature um and it's definitely a great place for you to reach out to us and tell us what you thought about this episode or any other episode or what you'd like to see in the past uh or in the in the future um yeah yeah so i guess with that uh thanks once again and uh until next week we'll see you next time thanks for a great game everybody and uh watch out for those dungeons Yep. Excelsior. Excelsior. I'm digging the the, interactivity. Oh my lord. People like, and they actually listen. It's not just my mom. That's not true. That's not true. I I have eight different Twitch accounts. Yeah. I I am Girk and Joel (laughs) and Girk is is a hand puppet. And Joe. (laughs) Yeah. I have a full time job.